0: You are listening to Haftarah, the sheer series where we explore the connections between the Parsha Shavua and its corresponding Haftarah. And here at the Database with Rabbi Shua Eisenberg, this week's Parsha is Parsha Emor, And the Haftarah comes to us from Sefer Yechezkel, Perak Mem that's 44 in Yechezkel, Tesvav, through and Aleph, 15 through 31. As we take a little bit of a break from double Parshias, at least for a week, that is because here at Haftarah we've been quite busy covering several Haftarahs, for example, all of the Passages that we read over Pesach, then we had a little bit of a break for Parsha Shemini, and then we came back with not only a double Parsha in Tazria and Metzorah, but a triple Parsha because of Shabbos Rosh Chodesh. So we looked at three different pieces of Navi that week to cover all of the different Parshios and their Haftaros. And then last week we had Achermos and Kadoshin, another double Parsha. But due to the discrepancy between Ashkenazic and Sephardic traditions, we ended up looking at three pieces of Navi last week. And, of course, we are going to come back next week with Behar and Bechokosa, yet another double Parsha. So we can at least appreciate our ability to have just one Haftarah for Parsha's Emor, to focus on one piece of Navi as we take that breather and revisit, say, for Yehezkel. And I say revisit Yechezkel because we've seen Yechezkel quite often lately. Yechezkel was prominently featured in the Dalad Parshas, for example. Half of the Dalad Parshas are followed up with Yechezkel. We saw Yechezkel for Shabbos, Chalmoy, and Pesach. And of course, most recently, we saw Yechezkel last week. Um, it wasn't the Haftarah that was read. It was the very rare Haftarah that will be read next year, according to schedule. And... Um, We actually saw two pieces from Ichezkel last week, arguably the Haftarah of Ahremos or of Kedoshim, depending on your tradition. Um, But between those two parshos, we saw two different pieces from Ichezkel that were close to each other. But the reading from Ichezkel that I think is most relevant to the one that we are about to talk about is the Haftarah of Ichezkel that coincides with Parsha's Tetzaveh. Now, we did not read Ichezkel for Parsha's Tetzaveh this past year, this past Parshas Tetzava, because Tetzava coincided with Parshas Zachor, where we read from Sefer Shmuel. But when Tetzava does not coincide with Zachor, we in fact read from Ichazkel, and the parak that we would read from is Mem Gimel, 43 in Yechezkel, which is right before the Haftarah of Parshas Emor that we are about to discuss. And I think it's worth uh, mentioning because Emor and, and Tetzaveh do have the common theme of kahuna. The first half of Emor revolves all around the kohanim. And of course, Parshas Tetzaveh focuses heavily on the role of the kohanim in the Mishkan, and the Migdash in the, the Avodah, the clothing that they wore and the inaugural procedures for the Kohanim, they are described in both Tetzave and in Tzav. Um, but the Haftarah for Tetzave was a nevuah from the future, discussing what it's going to be like in Bais Shlishi, what the um, what the base of Migdish is going to be like in those times. And we discussed the role of the Kohanim um, a little bit for that Haftarah, which you can go back and find in the archives. But this Haftarah for Parshas Emor. Um, in a certain sense, is a sequel to that Haftara eh, for, for Parshas Tetzaveh. Um, with Tetzaveh, we focused on really the role of the Kohanim in their avoda. This Haftara is going to focus on their Kedusha. And like the Haftara from last week, or I should say from Parshas Tetzaveh, not last week, from Tetzaveh, um, which, again, we did not read this year, but we did discuss months ago, so like that Haftarah this Haftarah as well is a Nevuah from the future a common theme in Yeshayahu Yeshayahu brings um, visions of what's going to be uh, um, you know in uh, sometime in the future and this Haftarah I would say describes the Kohanim of the future now what do I mean well we'll talk about it after I dedicate the sheer imi Svi Mishkava should have an aliyah. So let's actually look at the haftarah. So again, as the first half of Parshas Amor deals with the laws pertaining to kedushas kohanim, the holiness of the kohanim, for example, for whom they may become tameh, because again, a kohen can't go into a graveyard just willy-nilly, even to do the, even just to accompany someone to a levaya, to attend a levaya unless it's one of the immediate relatives. And of course, if it's the Kohen Gadol, then even for his relatives, he can't go unless there's a maize mitzvah. There's no one tending to the dead. Um, but the, the Torah describes the Kedusha of the Kohen as it pertains to becoming Tame. Um, it also talks about the Kedusha of the Kohen as it pertains to um, whom a Kohen may marry. So a lot of the beginning of our Parsha is, um, um Kedusha's Kohanim. So the Haftarah is taken from this passage in Yechezkel, which as well elaborates on the holiness of the Kohanim, but again, the Kohanim of the future. Now, what does that mean exactly? So the Navi tells us that unlike those of the Bnei Levi, who strayed from Hashem during the generations surrounding the Golas, the descendants of Tzadokah Kohin were the exemplary Kohanim who stayed true to Hashem's will, and they will be the ones to assume the role as the Kohanim in the era of Shlishi. We should see it very, very soon. But now in this light, as Parshas Emor does, the Navi enumerates what we might refer to as the perks of Kohanic heritage, such as the rites of receiving Bikurim, trumah Chala, and so forth. Now, one interesting feature of our Haftarah, which um, it, it, it troubles the Mufarshan, they take issue with our passage of Navi as it apparently presents some new stringencies of Kedush's Kohanim, which are completely unfounded by the Torah. We don't find anything that resembles um, these these new, um, these new stringencies in Sefer Vayekra, for example. And uh, the art scroll, um, Stone Chomish and the Tanakh, um, cites three basic approaches to explain the seemingly new and improved laws of Kohanim. It gives two approaches from Rashi, one from the Radak, which we'll elaborate on in just a moment. Um, I'll say now that I'm not going to list the different stringencies at this point, um, but if you look in the Haftarah from Pesach Yed Zayin and on, you see what um, is referred to as the laws of the Kohanim. And almost in biblical form, and Now I say when I say biblical I mean Chumash as opposed to Navi, um, we, we find what looks like a description of laws, which you would find in the Torah. However, these laws you don't find in the Torah. So it's a, a very strange that all of a sudden we have a bunch of new, new laws that the Kohana must adhere to. So Rashi suggests that either these laws that are described here are really a cryptic metaphoric presentation of the original laws, the ones that we do find in the Torah, and they're just presented differently, and they're not meant to be taken as pshat, or that they really are an accurate reiteration of the laws, but they are the laws of the Kohen Gadol, whose restrictions are even greater than that of a typical Kohen. The only difference is that here, the Navi presents the laws of the Kohen Gadol in a pluralized form, describing the role of the Kohanim, and the holiness and the strictures, the stringencies of the kohanim, but it's actually referring to the Kohen Gadol. Why would you pluralize Kohen Gadol? Maybe there's going to be a heightened level of kedusha of kohanim. Maybe there are going to be multiple kohanim gadolim. I'm not sure. However, perhaps an approach that sort of resembles that, is offered by the Radak, who suggests that, in fact, these laws that we find in Echazkel are going to be the new and improved rules of the Kohanim. And they're going to be designed for the new era, reflecting an increase in Kedusha, in, in Kohanic sanctity. Thus, the Kohanim of the future have a higher standard of Kedusha. In any event, while the Haftarah's theme of Kedusha's Kohanim is not a bad one for the first half of Parshas Amor, the rest of Parshas Amor seems to not be reflected in this purely Kohanic Haftarah. If you look at the rest of Parshas Amor, so for example the parsha elaborates on the Moadim, the laws of the Menorah and the Shulchan and of course the infamous uh, narrative of the half Egyptian half Israeli Mikalil, the curser who curses Hashem's name in the midst of a fight and arguments. It happens to be the only other narrative in Sefer Vayukra. If you count um, Tzav and Shmini, which describes the inauguration of the Kohanim and the Mishkan, so that would be one narrative, Nadav and Avihu. Then we have this other narrative. So the question is not merely about the quote-unquote one-tracked mind of our Haftarah, which focuses only on the Kohanim, but perhaps we should really be asking this question about the Parsha overall. Right, what is Parshas Emor really about? The seeming split between the beginning of Emor and the rest of Emor should make us wonder what it is that connects the dots together throughout the entire Sidra of Parshas Emor. Right, how did we get from Kedushas Kohanim to the Yamim Tovim, the festivals, and everything else in the Sidra? Is there any underlying theme? How can we see that larger overarching theme in the cryptic passage of Yechezkel about the Kohanim of the future? So, as far as the Parsha itself, this is something that we've discussed at length in Parsha Panorama in our old Parsha series, which you can find in the archives. Um, But we'll we'll elaborate slightly on some of the things that we mentioned in that share, is that while the Torah seems to be focused on the Kohanim exclusively, at least at first, a rule underlying every Kohanic passage is the simultaneous understanding that really an aspect of kedushas kohanim is present not just in the kohanim from the tribe of Levi, but really the entire Bnei Israel, as the Torah refers to the Bnei Israel at the time of Kabbalah's Torah as mamlechus kohanim ve'goy kadosh, a kingdom of kohanim, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. And obviously, in the most literal sense, the technical laws of kohanim don't apply to every individual member of the Bnei Israel. However, as a mamlechus kohanim, a kingdom of kohanim. The Bnei Israel have to live an elevated life, in a conceptually similar way to that of the Kohanim. So, just for instance, although Hashem specifies regarding the Kohanim in our parsha this week, in Parshas Emor, that Kadoshim Yihyu, they shall be holy, we know that just one sidra earlier, last week, Hashem already commanded the entire Bnei Israel, Kadoshim Tihyu, that you shall be holy. So, what emerges is that whatever what the Kohanim are to the rest of the Bnei Israel, we always have to see ourselves. We have to see the Bnei Israel as to the rest of the world. In other words, what the Kohanim are to the Jewish people, the Bnei Yisrael, have to be to the nations of the world. Now, this overlap between Kedusha's Kohanim and Kedusha's Yisrael can be understood in one of the strange laws that is presented in the Haftarah. In the final line of the Haftarah, a very interesting line to, to, to be the conclusion, the Navi tells us, Kol nevela utrefa mina, ofa mina Lo Kohanim It's like whoa, what, what, what kind of clothes is that? Any carcass and fatally wounded um, creature, right? Be it from a bird or from an animal, the Kohanim shall not eat that. Like you, you could almost hear the fireworks. Now again, this uh, this verse is not only a seemingly anticlimactic end, ending of to that Torah, but in and of itself, the the, the verse is strange as the Gemara might say, Hagufa kasha, because it says the kohanim ke'i nevela or Tray food, which is odd because this rule applies to the entire Bnei not just the kohanim. Moreover, before we suggested that some of the kohanic laws in Yichazkel are newly added surgencies, reflective of an even more elevated kohanic status, right? like the Radak says, yet this closing verse is... Not only not a new stringency reflective of an elevated khanic status, but it's just a reiteration of an old obligation that is required of all Jews alike. So, many point out, by the way, a similar oddity in our own parsha, as the Torah forbids Kohanim, for example, for making bald spots in their heads, or cutting their skin in response to the death of a loved one, which is another command that applies to all of the B'nai all alike. So, why, so, so like what, why, does, uh, why does the Chumash do that? Why does the Navi do that? What is the Haftar trying to tell us in this final verse? And what is the Sidra, for that matter, trying to tell us by commanding a Kohen to abide by a rule that all Jews must abide by? So there are two possible answers to that question. And I would argue that they are really two sides of the same coin. And one answer suggested by many is that the quality of a mitzvah committed to the Bnei Israel at large might have more gravity for the Kohen, so that the same sin perpetuated by one of the Bnei Israel is of greater disgrace when a Kohen commits that same crime. This is something that is pointed out by my Rev. and Sachs, that yes, in hakinami, no Jews are allowed to eat nevei Utrefa. But could you imagine if a Kohen were to violate that same Avera, how terrible that would be, how tragic that would be. The beacon, the role models of Klan and in that case, role models of the world, and they are, they are neglecting to be the most pristine and the highest level of Jewish life. And they are, they are not even keeping the basic mitzvahs that everyone has to keep. So, on the one hand, that we have that answer. That, yes, it's even greater when the Kohen commits that Avera. Greater in the negative. However, another answer that one can suggest is that perhaps the common commandments that exist between Kohanim and the rest of the nation are actually reflective of the overlap in holiness that we referenced earlier. That the B'nai Israel as a nation, they carry also a sense of Kohanic holiness being that Mamlechas Kohan. So when we consider the rest of the Sidra, this theme I would argue manifests itself further as the Torah of years away from the exclusively Kohanic discussion to a broader discussion, for example, about the Jewish calendar, going through all of the festivals. Right, the, the, the yom Tovim are all representative of Kedushas Hazman, the the holiness of time. Right, so uh, we, we refer to the yom Tovim as Mikrae Kodesh in this week's parsha. And this concept of kedusha hazman is equally accessible and relevant for all of the Bnei Israel to take unique advantage of. The holiness of Shabbos, all of the moedim remind all of us of the Bnei Israel that, as per our relationship with Hashem, all of us are connected to that elevated kedusha. And yet, as the Kohanic holiness must spill into the rest of the Bnei Israel, even kedusha hazman of the holidays has to spill into every day, as I believe is reflected by the menorah and the shulchan, both of which contain a holy avoda, which must be performed every single day, Tumid, constantly, as the Torah describes in our parasha, not just on the holidays. So, clearly from our parasha, there exists this kedusha which emanates from the highest source that is meant to be passed downward, to be reflected and emanated through the actions of the entire Chal Yisrael. And yet, the lesson of the heightened holiness of the Kohanim that makes even a simple sin worse is reflected once again when we reach the end of the Sidra, which deals with the Mechalel. Think about it, the man who cursed Hashem's name, according to Chazal, might have been an individual who was looking for acceptance, a home among his brethren, at least his half-brethren. And the madras describes, and really the, the chumash a little bit gives us um, uh, a, a little bit of detail, not too much. But when you put the madras and the chumash together, the, uh, we, we find that a fight broke out between this um, this Mikhalel before he became the Makalel and members of some of the of, of at least one of the shvatim, um, possibly uh, um, a dun. And yet, despite the fact that this individual was looking for acceptance. A fight broke out, and then he ended up cursing Hashem's name. And the question one has to ask is how things could have escalated from this spiritual half-breed of a Jew and an outcast looking for inclusion and to perhaps be a part of Kedusha Israel, and how can that ultimately turn around and curse the exact source of that Kedusha? Now, from the fight which Chazan described, it seems as though... The Bnei Israel were not sensitive with this individual, and in that, regardless of whether or not they were legally correct in their dispute against him, their kedusha was not reflected in the way they dealt with him, which is why he ultimately rejected that kedusha. And what a tragedy it was! Is the Torah commands the entire Bnei Israel in our sidra, "V'lo as shame Kachi, don't be machal my kedusha, v'niktashdi Bnei Israel." that I should be sanctified in the midst of Klayshar not cursed Hashem mikadeshchema I am the one I am the one that is Hashem who, who makes you holy I'm the one that sanctifies you right not just the Kohana, but the entire nation is charged to live up to its holy level of kedusha the kedusha that is only imbued to them by Hashem a kedusha that they have no right to disgrace and even cause a disgrace to to be for example Mechal, their Kedusha, by being complicit, perhaps, in the cursing of Hashem's name. Right? It's not just the Kohanim, but all of Kleistral has to uphold that Kedusha and not create a Chilal Hashem, but a Kedusha as Shem Shemayim. When the B'nai Israel engages in the kind of conflict that is dealt with in a way where they are disregarding other individual's feelings and causes Hashem, that's like a Kohen who eats Nivela or Trefa. It's a disgrace upon a disgrace because we are Hashem's Mamlechus Kohanim. So at the end, there is in fact a heightened responsibility, whether of a literal Kohen or even a regular member of Mamlechas Kohanim. And if we consider the unique sanctity of the Kohanim of the future we all truly have what to aspire to as Hashem's memlechus kohanim. Because the Haftorah and the Sidra together teach us that kedusha is not limited to one's biological makeup. It's apparently not even limited to one's requirements according to the letter of Torah law. It might not even be limited to the right time and place. While there are certainly objective levels of kedusha which are all based on the above, such as time, such as family, there is a Kedusha that varies and grows within each individual based on the choices and spiritual growth of that individual, based on just being a member of Kala Yisrael. And there can be an increase in spiritual responsibility, for example, off the books, which is perhaps reflective of an increase in Kedusha. And like that of the Kohanim of the future, perhaps there are uncharted levels of Kedusha that can yet be attained by anybody, and it's a beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Certainly, if our souls are so inclined and blessed to yearn towards that level. However, the ever unchanging goal for us as Hashem's call him, has to be to at least maintain, or I should say, to attain, and live up to the requisite level of kedusha, and assure only a growing kedusha in this world. So we shall be Zoka to live up to our inherent Kedusha and even excel in our levels of Kedusha to transcend and reach higher levels. I think we should continually bring about a kedusha Shemayim until the ultimate Kedush Shem takes place in the form of the Geula and the nuvuos that our Navi describes the coming of Mashiach, be Aminu. Until next time, if you enjoy sharing like this and others in the podcast and you want to partner up with us with a sponsorship, if you have questions, comments, concerns, recommendations, or you want to join the Database Podcast WhatsApp group where you'll find links to every uploaded Shear and links to SHRM that I repost due to their relevance, then all you have to do is reach out to me at, the at gmail.com. That's the data than base, B-E-I-S at gmail.com. Have an absolutely wonderful Shabbos.